Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Alrighty. Welcome to the Self Slab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tuftabai. I'm Diane Lynn from Brookline, Massachusetts, from Brooklyn, New York, Alex Goldberg, and from Mexico City, Mexico, Dr. Justin Quinn. Happy holidays to people who are listening, and perhaps more importantly, happy almost NBA trade season. And to celebrate that wonderful annual tradition, we welcome in our guest tonight from CLNS, from BET.com, from the Full Court Press newsletter via Substack, Ashrod Blakely. Ashrod, how are you? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. Brooklyn, Brookline, well done. Well done. That's uh, That was the whole plan, actually, when I was considering <laughs> my options for where to move. I figured what would be the place that would be the closest to Cam's residence, but not actually be in Brookline? Nice. We're spiritually neighbors. Um, <laughs> hey, Sherrod, I, I'm going to put, I think you and Justin were talking about this off air. Um, I didn't know this, but you are a lecturer at BU. Is that still uh, accurate? Yes, it, it was this afternoon. Uh, so I'm hoping it'll be that way tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I, I've been there uh, since 2020. Uh, and then I, I teach a lot of different journalism-based courses, uh, news reporting, sports journalism, uh, do some podcasting, some smartphone reporting, which is really, really Whoa. super cool. Uh, and, and some other elective courses that are on the, on the uh, docket. And it's pretty much whatever they ask me to do, I teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the benefits of being... Uh, I say being old, they say being seasoned and experienced. Yeah. But <laughs> to me, let's just yeah, let, let's just cut to the chase and cut to the nut graph. I'm old, so that's fine. I'm okay. Oh, with I, that. Um, I didn't know that. That's great. I mean, for people who listen to this podcast, it's, we're a bunch of teachers and educators. So um, welcome to the party. Uh, I if I see you on Tuesday, I'm going to pick your brain about that more. That's very interesting to me. Okay. Least of which, my dad went to BU, so I'm, I'm proud of the BU Terriers. And there's so many. The Syracuse Mafia runs so deep at TD Garden that if you can help BU put itself on the map, let's do it. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could spend all episode talking about what Syracuse has done for the the landscape, but more- We've got better things to talk about than that, Cam. Alrighty. Welcome to the Celtics Lab podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. In this episode, we are going to talk about recent comments from Tatum, uh, Chris Tepps Porzingis, and V. Mike Gorman. We'll do the news as we are wont to do, but then in the lab portion of the programming, like I said, December 15th, that's when a lot of players become trade eligible, the players who sign in the off season. So suddenly there's something like a hundred more players who can be traded. So that means that we can officially talk about open season on the trade market, which is an analogy and a little dehumanizing. I think Justin would be mad at me if I wrote that. Okay, let's talk about the news. The news is uh, the Celtics... Beat the pants off of the Knicks, and then it got close, which has sort of been a theme this season. Um, and it was the return of Chris Tapps Porzingis, who played brilliantly. It also was um, a huge game for Derek White. So, Sherrod, I'll give you one of those three options to pick. Do the Celtics blow too many leads? How important is Porzingis? And or how important is Derek White? 
I'm going to take door number three, please. Uh, Derek White. Uh, the, the, this is the thing about Derek White. Of, of the different scenarios you just laid out, Derek White is the one category that I feel no matter how much I talk about him, I don't talk about him enough. Uh, mm -hmm. And I don't think most people really understand just how integral he is to this team's success. When you go back and look at the knockout round when they lost to Indiana, that was maybe the most un-Derek White-like game he's had as a Celtic. Uh, when you start looking at the box scores, the one number that jumps out to me is five, as in the number of turnovers he had in that game. That is such a Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown <laughs> category. And so you, you, you almost felt like if you didn't watch the game that – somehow one of the, the statisticians just got it wrong and had Derek White's number in, you know, for someone else and, and had Tatum or Brown's number for turnovers uh, next to Derek White. He just gives the game what it needs. And I, and that's, that's, that's the Paul Pierce one-on-one uh, -on -one verbiage there, giving the game what it needs. Derek White does that consistently. And I, I have been very consistent in believing that if this Celtics team is going to win a championship, Derek White has to be one of their top four players. There's no, I don't think there's any way getting around that. Uh, he is the glue guy that keeps everything and everyone running efficiently. I think about guys like James Posey. I think about guys like Bruce Brown in Denver last year. Guys that he's clearly not your best player, but he's probably your most important player if you're talking about winning a championship. So I'm a huge, huge, huge Derek White fan. Um, Music Alex. to my ears, Sherrod, <laughs> on that one. Uh, as you know, I am the co-president of the Derek White Fan Club with Cam here. Um, any and all Derek White praise is both allowed and actively encouraged on the Celtics Lab podcast. I would even go as far as to say he's got a very Dennis Johnson sort of role. Oh, cool. Yeah, that, someone mentioned that on one of the broadcasts actually the other night, and, and just and the more I started to think about him in that regard it makes sense i mean dj at no point did you ever feel that he was the absolute number one player and yet at the end of the game you say who really made a difference he was almost one of the top two players you've mentioned in that regard so yeah that's a that's a good enough that's a good comparison i think yeah thanks i'm also using the term glue guy i'm still curious like what the right pairings of the star players are like should jalen play predominantly with Porzingis should Tatum play predominantly with the bench. And every time I, I think I have it put together, I'm like, Oh, but what about Derek? Cause uh, I don't know. I don't have a, a cohesive thought there. I've been playing with the lineup data on NBA.com and it's still a little messy, but mm -hmm. I mean, he's kind of the answer to like any poison you you're worried about with the Celtics, but we could put a pin on that. Yeah, uh, well, sure. I, no, I was just going to say, if you're, if you're playing the love connection game with the Celtics, the one connection that I will absolutely get behind every single day is Jalen Brown and Chris Porzingis because that's the that's the combination where when I think about Jalen Brown making three hundred million dollars, when I see him with Porzingis, I feel like okay, I'm not crazy about that number, but at least here I see the value of it. Jalen looks closer to being a three hundred million dollar player when Porzingis is on the floor with him than not. Uh, his ability to be that, to me, that pick your poison, pick and roll guy, whether Jalen can hit the floater, mm -hmm. he can throw the lob to Porzingis, or if Porzingis decides to just, you know, um, just set the screen and just and just flare out, he's got a guy that he can throw the ball to. Jalen seems to be so much better in terms of his decision-making, in terms of his impact when Porzingis is out there. Um, I don't ever want to see them not to get i want to always see them locked arm in arm we've been fine we spent so much time trying to put the jays together 
when really this is a much better marriage made in basketball heaven when those two guys are on the floor. Uh, but to your point earlier, though, Cam, I mean, Derek White, you can put him with pretty much anyone, and this mm-hmm. is going to work. Uh, it's not always going to work as well as as you want, but over the course of the game, Derek White's going to give the game what it needs. And, and, and I'm, I'm just a huge, huge fan of his. And I think back to uh, when he first came to Boston and uh, the Utah Jazz coach, Will Hardy, now, uh, now as the jazz coach was a Celtics assistant, him and I would talk about Derek because he had Derek in San Antonio and Will kept telling me that you're going to love him. He's just going to fit in and, you know, he can do, he, he's just a real glue guy. And I'm thinking there, he's got all these damn years left on his contract. They're doing this for a glue guy, a guy that's <laughs> just going to, I mean, why didn't it work in San Antonio? He's working with Popovich. What, 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 why is he being traded if he's such a great glue guy? Yep. And the thing that Will said to me that I, I, I thought it, it resonated later on, because in the moment I'm thinking like, it's just BS. What is he talking about? But later on, it made sense to me. Derek White is an example of what happens when you have the right player, with the right fit, and it's given the right role. In San Antonio, they needed him to be a little bit more than I think his uh, bandwidth could, could take. Mm-hmm. Here, he could be the number four option and never have to crack a sweat in doing so. And to be candid on this team, he's really more like the fifth or sixth. If you talk about the two J's plus Porzingis plus uh, Drew Holiday, he's probably your fifth option. And to have a glue guy that can get you basically 15, six and six, defend the best ball handler for the most part is an all NBA defender. I'm, I'm good with him. Me, 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 me and D white are good. <laughs> yeah, Alex, I know you want to hop in. I'll just, for our listeners, next time you watch a Celtics game, whether it's Derek or I'll throw Drew in there, just watch them for a couple offensive plays, just like seeing what where they go. Actually on defense too, when they're off ball, just you can see the chase down block coming a mile away. You can see like the right cut coming a mile away because to your point, Sherrod, the, the pressure and the, the eyes are off of them and they have such great instincts. Um, but Alex, I know you want to hop in either about the yeah. JBKB thing or. Well, that specifically, and I think it kind of dovetails into the broader point of like, what does Christoph Porzingis do for this team? And why did it matter so much that he was back? Is that what I really like about the dynamic between uh, Jalen and Kristaps is that it allows Jalen to um, kind of develop a little bit more effectively as a passer with a real safety blanket in that Christoph Porzingis guys this dude just shoots the ball as soon as he touches it (laughs) like he is looking to score first second third and fourth and that's exactly what I need from Christoph Porzingis like that's what his role should be in this offense somebody that tall with that kind of shooting touch it would be um silly to not have that be their primary focus when they're on the floor so pairing Jalen with a guy who is looking to kind of score first, second, third, fourth, whenever, um, I think actually kind of forces Jalen to adapt his game into something that I think ultimately might be a little rough and tumble now, but will be more sustainable in the long term. It's forcing him to develop a little bit as a passer to kind of use the threat of his individual scoring prowess um, and use it to open up the rest of the floor. And when it works, particularly because Porzingis is such a serious spacing threat, uh, both vertically and on the perimeter, 
um, it unlocks a different level for the Celtics offense. And you could tell pretty clearly the difference between when he's on the floor and when he's when he was off the floor um, with, you know, kind of the injury missing time with that calf strain. Um, the Celtics offense was their biggest concern during that stretch. It became really lethargic. There was not a lot of ball movement. There was not a lot of playmaking. They kind of defaulted back to the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, your turn, my turn offense, mm -hmm. which has gotten them into trouble so many times in both the playoffs and in the regular season. I mean, at the end of the day, this is really, to me, going to be the storyline of the year for Boston. Is Kristaps Porzingis going to be healthy in the playoffs? Because if he is, then the Celtics have a completely different gear that they can get to offensively. If he's not, we're probably going to see a lot of the same things that have plagued this team time in and time out. And every game is going to feel like an agonizing rock fight. Um, so, yeah, no, he's a, he's a hugely important player. You can see it both on just like how he kind of supercharges the offense generally and more specifically in how he allows Jalen Brown to be a more dynamic player overall. Okay, I want to pause the action here and tell you that you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, and you can take a look at things like spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager is required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonuses are issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Hope is here. Gambling help line ma.org or call 800-327-5050 support. Play it smart from the start. Go to gamesensema.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Okay. Back to the action. I would also add, not I'm not poking fun at Jalen, but I think sometimes Jalen needs to be bailed out of possessions. And Alex, to your point, KP is is like a great, great answer to that. So if KP is injured or misses extended time, they got to figure out like who to pair with Jalen. I, I am interested if it's like, I, I think the Derek, KP, Jalen plus group is nice. And then Drew, Horford and Tatum. Again, that the data is still too messy to know for sure, like what works and what doesn't, but I'm kind of drifting towards those as like the three silos to build around, but that's a conversation for another day. Okay, let's keep it moving. So um, Dr. Quinn, I'll go to you first and then Sherrod. We're a quarter of the way through the season, roughly. I wanna ask, what do you think you know about the Celtics? But then Boston's gonna play Cleveland twice this week, Orlando twice this week, and then they're going on the road, Golden State, Sacramento, Clippers, Lakers. So what do you think you know about the Celtics and what are you looking for in this pretty tough eight game stretch? They're the best team in the league. Uh... Yeah, just microphone so I can hear or be heard a little bit better. And not only are they the best team in the league, they are a better version of the best team in the league than I think most of us thought. But you can make the argument, and it's a pretty fair argument, even though they did have a pretty strong schedule that they haven't faced a lot of really good teams so far. And it's a quarter of the way season through the way 
it's a quarter of the way through the season. I don't know what's going on with my tongue today. So you can't really say all that much. But to your point, after this stretch that's coming up with two back-to-backs, uh, half of the four, four of the eight games on the road on a West Coast swing at that, we're going to learn a lot about this team in the next two or so weeks. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the beautiful thing about those West Coast trips, particularly the first one. It really is uh, kind of a, a true serum about who you are because you're going to – the simple fact that you show up in the building – adversity is going to be something you're going to have to deal with. How are you going to handle that? Uh, it's one thing to handle that, you know, in Detroit or in, you know, an, an, you know, one of the lower echelon teams in the East, but what are you going to do when you're playing really good teams over an extended period of time in their building? And mind you, those teams, they see the, they see the standings just like you and I do. They know where you're at boss and they know that knocking you off is a major feather in their cap. And how are they going to handle that? Um, I look at the Celtics in, in this upcoming stretch as an opportunity for them to remind us who they are and show us something that maybe we don't know yet. Because right now we know they're a very good team at home. The, mm-hmm. They have not lost, knock on wood, at home all season long. And so for them, there's a confidence that they have when they're going to see Cleveland twice in a row in their building and that they're going to see, you know, their first four games of the next eight are going to be in their building. So there's a confidence that they're going to continue to find ways to win in their building because that's literally all they've been able to do this season. I'm more concerned about that road uh, stretch where you're going to see the Clippers who it seems like they've finally been able to, to calibrate how this whole James Harden, uh, you know, addendum is going to work. Uh, I'm not sold on it. Uh, and, and on, you know, the, um, the Big Three NBA podcast with myself, Kwani Lunas, and uh, Gary Washburn. We talked to Law Murray, who covers the Clippers, and we talked specifically about the addendum, a.k.a. James Harden, and how that's working. Um, but that, that's one of just a number of games that they're going to face that I think will challenge them, not only in terms of their just flat-out ability to win games, but their mental toughness. Uh, that's something that the Celtics, I think, have done enough in the past couple of years to make us question how strong that part of who they are really is. Uh, I think at the end of the day, they'll come out of this stretch five and three. I think they will drop one of those games at home. Uh, and I, I think they'll win at, I think they'll win a couple of the road games as well. But uh, this is a good, and it, to, for them to come out this thing five and three, that'll probably keep them in the top two, top three in the East. And at the end of the day, um, the experience of beating a team like the Clippers, who's starting to play better basketball than and some of those other teams out West, uh, that's going to just only make them better long-term. Because at the end of the day, and I've said this repeatedly about this team, win a championship, period. I don't want to hear anything happening other than that. Everything you're doing has to be building towards that. Because at the end of the day, if the season ends and you're not holding that Larry O'Brien trophy, your season Boston Celtics was a failure. I don't care about injuries. I don't care about excuses. I don't care about rationales as to why things just didn't quite work out this year. Hell no, not happening. <laughs> Win it all, period. I'm going to add to that, but Sherrod, can I say something so dumb? There's no such is, thing. Is Go that ahead. a Syracuse banner behind you? Yes, I am part of the Syracuse oh. University Newhouse Mafia. <laughs> I thought you knew that when you were saying that earlier. No, I'm flapping my gums. I thought it was a sign. I, 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 assumed, you, I, I assumed you saw that. That's yeah. what no, that I clocked from. it as an orange line sign. I was like, oh, that's nice. I, I read the T sometimes. I didn't even like finish reading the sign. Wow. No, I'm I'm part of the new house mafia, uh, and I try to I try to keep it relatively quiet. Although, if you were in my home, there's literally Syracuse paraphernalia with an arms reach. For example, just reached out Syracuse glove. 
And if I stretch myself even further, I can pull up a Syracuse uh, dream container. I it, it probably all fell off the back of a truck. Yeah, there it is. Well, look, <laughs> okay. if we need it, we have Syracuse repellent. Yeah, we Ooh. love the we love the old Big East on this you know podcast. What? We don't we don't have time to get into it now. But me and Rip Hamilton had some very spirited conversations about UConn Syracuse. Uh, Always and, some of my favorite games, man. He listen. I I love Rip. I, except when when Syracuse plays UConn, <laughs> then we, we him and I we we um we agreed to put a ceasefire on our our friendship at that point, we, and we'll we would rekindle it after the games. But when they played, nah, we 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 there's no love, no love between us at all. I wish the University of Pittsburgh was like an actual player in this Big East rivalry, but it hasn't been for a long time. Um, I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna go there. <laughs> hey, Dewan Blair had a good career. Um, exactly. Well, shout out to uh, Drew Carter, the latest member of the Syracuse Mafia. To He's part of the Mafia. <laughs> join yeah, the orbit. Goodness gracious, I really embarrassed myself for the YouTube crowd. I really thought it was the orange line this whole time. Um, to your point about the stakes for this trip, I categorically agree about the end goal, but my short-term goal is I think they need to have a little fun. The Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown ejections, I don't want to over-index, but this is a long season. They've been contenders for a long time. They're just going to run out of steam if every every moment is business, business, business. And I'm not sh- saying that they don't, you know, sometimes play with their food and that's a problem, but I just want to make sure that like, you know, they're building the right relationships. They're building the right stamina for the season. And that means enjoying themselves at times. So I don't want them to let go of the rope or get punked by the magic t- twice in as many games here, but I'm also, we're at the point of the season where you got to settle in. And so I want to see them have a little fun, which is like such a radio take, but I stand by it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and to that point, Kim, I think there's no goal that is more important uh, and on this road trip than beating down the Orlando Magic. Well, that's at home. That's that's extra important. They're going to have to do it all, all, all without this Al to one say, of the games. Yeah, they, they have to figure this out because the Orlando Magic, for whatever reason, as we've discussed ad nauseum on this podcast, have been the Celtics kryptonite now for multiple years, basically as long as Paolo Bancaro has been on the team. Um, it's a nightmare matchup for them. It's all of the things that kill them. It's uh, size, it's spacing, it's physical play, uh, you know, from the wing and point guard positions. There's, if there was a team crafted in a lab to exploit all of the Celtics' biggest weaknesses, it would be this Orlando Magic team. So my personal goal is go have some fun by blowing out the Orlando Magic twice at home. Really show it to them. Um, If you do that, I think they're going to be in good shots. Also, beat the Lakers because it's always beat the Lakers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's the the template uh, right there. Uh, But to to your point about Orlando, uh, that franchise for years has tried to build itself out with length, 
athleticism really being a priority. Uh, and, and, you know, one of their, their front office executives, John Hammond, he used to be the GM in Milwaukee. And before that, he, him and I, uh, I, I covered uh, the Detroit Pistons when he, when he was there. And he's always wanted the long, lanky guys because in his mind, worst case scenario is I've got a 3 and D guy. Worst case mm-hmm. scenario, I'll have a team of 3 and D guys. Best case scenario, I'll have a physical mid-range guy who can do some things. Basically, Quintero. That's, that's, that's kind of the – he is the, like, the, the gold standard for what they're looking to do there. And that's a problem for Boston because Boston, for whatever reason, doesn't really do well with length and athleticism. And if you think about it, there really aren't a lot of teams where their length and their athleticism is their calling card. Orlando was one of those teams. And they've consistently given the Celtics problem. Tatum's not able to get off the way he's used to. Jalen Brown struggles. Uh, And to me, and we'll talk about this later, but uh, I think if you're looking to add some components, I think you need to find someone who can address that particular weakness in your team. Someone who can help alleviate some of that that, that trouble that you have. And I've got got one guy in mind specifically. I don't know if he'll be available, but uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But Orlando is the type of team that if you're the Celtics, you're really need to figure out what are some of the components that we can put together to deal with them because that's the type of team you'll see in the first round of the playoffs potentially because as good as Orlando has been I am not the I'm not so by a long shot that they're going to be a top four finisher in the east I think they'll find they'll wind up being somewhere in six seven eight when all said and done um and that's the type of team that if you're the Celtics you're probably going to see right off the base off, off the bat so the last thing you want to do if you're Boston is to have a team like that in the first round, that forces you to play six, seven-game series. You don't want that. You want things to be over in four or five. Um, but Orlando's the type of team that, unless you figure something out between now and then, they're going to make you play at least six games because you're going to just be outworked and outplayed at least once or twice in that series. So, I feel the exact same way about the Pacers. I mean, the Celtics, just that third quarter against the Pacers in that in-season tournament game, like the Pacers just too fast. Yep. Boston either didn't know how to keep up or it was running them ragged. The um, Lakers gave us a East. good template, though, by just attacking the cup, which is something Boston can definitely do, exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, they just kind of gave up on it in the second half of that game. But just as a really quick aside, guys, the middle of the East is better than it's been in years. I really feel yeah. like that mid tier in the Eastern Conference, like the top tier in the Eastern Conference, doesn't strike me as being like quite as elite as the top tier in years past with like you know those great Miami teams and all that stuff but the middle of the east is kind of brutal this year and that's that's scary if you're the Celtics because all those teams could beat you in a best of seven uh Indiana show what they can do uh you know Philadelphia I think is you know they're Philadelphia and, and this this is if we had an apology cam I would have it flashing right now about Philadelphia because I've I, for the longest time I thought Philadelphia was just they're just a speed bump in the road nothing to worry about the more I watched them play yes there's something to worry about uh I think they're one stretch big away from really causing some problems in the east because right now I think they'll get to the second round I don't think they'll get any further than that, but I think they need one more piece that could put them over the top because I like what Joel has been able to do. And, you know, their, their guard play is getting much better. And Tobias Harris, he's never going to be the max player or near max player that his salary says he is, but playing him a little bit more at that four spot, which Philadelphia's done a little bit more of this year, that makes him a tough cover. Uh, Cause he's six, eight, six, nine. He's, he's a thick guy. Not, not 
definitely not heavy, but definitely he's no, you know, he's no shrinking violet. Uh, he could be a problem at the four and Philadelphia could be a problem in the second round. I, the Celtics, they feel very confident against Philadelphia for obvious reasons. They beat the snot out of them pretty much every time they see them in the postseason. But I don't know if this is a year to, to deal with them in part because of the roster, but also is also with their head coach, Nick Nurse, who I think is really good. Yeah, I know. First of all, I don't think you can sleep on the Sixers, but yeah, that middle class in the East is really interesting. And Sherrod, I'll take the segue that you've laid out for me. Let's go right into the trade. So we had on our list, we were going to talk about Jason Tatum on the Point Forward podcast. Check it out later. Uh, Chris Depps-Porzingis was on Old Man and the Three, also worth checking out. Mike Gorman on Green with Envy. Good poll by the Green with Envy podcast. Mike Gorman is always a listen. Um, but you can listen to those later or you can read the transcript or whatever. Let's get into the trade stuff. So let's hop into the Celtics lab. Everyone put on your goggles, your safety gear. The premise again is on December 15th, a lot of players become trade eligible. And with the trade deadline, which I think is February 8th this year, rapidly approaching trade buzz is going to come out. Uh, Shams just had a piece, basically the Raptors and the bulls are coming into focus as sellers, but there might be more sellers out there. So that's what we're going to start with. Then we're going to look at potential buyers and where the Celtics fit into all of that. So welcome to the Celtics lab, Sherrod. All right. So like I said, Toronto and Chicago were not just by Shams, but by others being pegged as potential or probable sellers. Their teams with nice pieces, their teams spinning their tires and their teams who have spun their tires for a while. Um, we've put Portland and Washington in those camps for kind of similar reasons. Shrod, any team jump off the page as like an obvious big-time seller for you? Well, I don't think there's any question that the biggest seller I think we'll find this offseason will be Chicago. Uh, I, I they Right now, they're just hopeless as a franchise in terms of doing anything <laughs> of significance right now. The only thing they can do is just get their financial house in order, try to acquire as many assets as they can, and just really just begin the full-blown blow-it-up rebuild uh and and certainly zach levine is a name that we're going to hear a lot although i don't think they're going to be able to move him uh when you start looking at zach's contract it's like damn yeah 40 million here 43 there what ew that's i can think of one place that is probably pretty desperate to win doesn't they have their eyes i think on someone else according well someone else has their eyes on them according to shams which we could talk about in a moment but if it doesn't work out for miami to get the guy who supposedly wants to go there. I could see flipping a Kyle Lowry and maybe something interesting to sweeten the deal for Chicago uh, to get off of that money as well. But I think that's yeah. going to be like a desperation play for, for both sides. Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure Miami needs to do that. If I'm being perfectly honest, no. I feel like they're in a pretty good place right now. They've kind of weathered the storm of the uh, early season. They're not like rolling, but they're, a, they're always looking to be a playoff team anyway. They don't care about the regular season. And the way I kind of look at how their team is structured, I actually think that Zach Levine might compromise a lot of what they do well, particularly on the defensive end. And I don't know. I just get the sense that like their offense is so built around ball movement and pace. And Zach Levine needs the ball all the time Mm -hmm. if he's going to be the guy on that team. I I kind of don't see it. I mean, I think, Sherrod, the the point about the contract is – it's overwhelming. And the skinny on the Bulls is that they supposedly want to see what the team looks like after Zach Levine before considering trading Alex Caruso, Tamar DeRozan, or if they could trade Vucevic. 
So I think the Bulls are lying to themselves or have a bad poker face, but I just, so sometimes I write for Bulls Wire, our sister site, and I just, I've been for the past few weeks trying to cook up a Levine trade just because it's content. And I just, I can't intellectually, like be intellectually honest about it and like come up with one. So if you're listening and you have a Bulls trade for us, please send it in because I sure as hell can't think of one. Which, Zach Levine, I thank you so much for your service in the dunk contest. You seem like a nice young person. Like it's not, it's nothing personal. I would have taken all the money too, but I just don't, I don't think that the Jenga piece fits anywhere right now. No, Zach Levine is a great example of what happens when you have your best season at the right time with the right number of teams with the right amount of money to offer. Uh, And to his credit, he capitalized on that. Uh, His contract, I, I, in two, three years is going to be looked at as one of the worst contracts because of what you paid and what you got for what you paid. Uh, Zach Levine is a scorer and he's pretty much giving you nothing other than buckets. But to me, that is what I like to call fast food basketball. Mm-hmm. Tastes good. None but empty calories. It's not going to do anything for your health as a franchise and, and that's why to be Zach you know if you can move him great but to me I I'd look a lot more close at Caruso who I think can help a lot of teams uh and has a great great contract I mean he's got what I think it's like 9.5 million he's owed this that's year unbelievable. and next year's contract I think is partially guaranteed which to me is going to be guaranteed the, the, there's just no way you're going to allow him to he's going to he's going to get his he's going to get his cake I'm not, he's, he's not worried about that. Um, but Karu, he's, I think he's, I, I like him. I like him a lot. I like what he does at both ends of the floor. I like the fact that when you get late to the season, you get into the playoffs, as much as you want guys out there who have talent, you also want guys out there who are mentally tough, who mm-hmm. aren't going to like wither under the bright lights of the playoffs. Uh, I remember, you know, when I was in Detroit, uh, years ago, and, and I covered the team when you had Ben Wallace, Rashid Wallace, and Tony McDice, and some kid from Serbia named Darko. And I remember they would talk to me about, you know, just practices and how Darko was really good in practice, really good in practice. And then when the lights came on, it's like, <laughs> kind of shrinks. He kind of shrinks in a moment. And there are just some guys like that who are great, you know, when there isn't any pressure to perform, but the minute you put them in situations where they got to get the job done and there's a bunch of pressure that comes with that, they're not quite up to snow. And, you know, when I, I look at a guy like Caruso, I don't worry about that because he's not going to make every single play down a stretch, but it won't be because he's intimidated by the moment. It won't be because of him lacking effort. It'll simply be the, the basketball guys were not rolling with him on that play. That's it. what's tricky. It's interesting, though, because what's tricky about Caruso is that I I agree. I think he's an excellent basketball player, um, and I think a number of other teams do think he's an excellent basketball player. And to that end, I think his price is going to be pretty high at the trade deadline. We're probably talking- They want two first round picks. Two first round picks. Which is understandable, yeah. About right. And the challenge of that is that Alex Caruso is an additive player. He's not a guy that you build your franchise around. He's a guy that puts your team over the top when you're trying to win a title. But the teams that are most in need of Alex Caruso's services are also the teams that have exhausted a lot of their pick supplies in chasing for a championship. You're looking at Lakers, you're looking at uh, Philly, you're looking at Milwaukee. A lot of these teams have burned a ton of assets and might not have the most appealing package 
four in Alex but, Caruso. But you know what, Alex? Uh, not to be confused with Alex Caruso, Alex Goldberg. Here's the thing that when I think about Alex Caruso, to your point, a team that has, I guess, for lack of a better word, disposable assets that they could part ways with and could use a veteran guard in a backup role or provide some type of veteran leadership. And I think of OKC. Yep. I mean, if, I you, if you put him behind Shea Gill, oh, my goodness. Yeah. No. They yeah. become a team that not only does their talent give them a chance to knock you out in the first round, but now they got a little bit of experience. And, and Caruso comes with a different kind of swagger that I think a team like OKC could benefit from. And to me, that's the team. If if I'm if I had to like if I had to put money on who will Alice Caruso be playing for from playoff time this year. I would say OKC because it makes so much sense. And it's such a Sam Presti kind of deal to make, yep. isn't it? Uh, to get a guy like that. Uh, and whatever assets that Sam, even if, if Sam has to throw in players, he's sending them out east. So he doesn't have to deal with <laughs> it. Um, and that's just that's just how he rolls. And I, res I respect that about him. But Caruso, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, I think he'd be a great addition to a team that's looking to take that next step he's not necessarily going to win you a championship but he can take you further than whatever you're supposed to be going at that point and that's really what you want to do when you're making a trade uh you want someone who can who can amplify whatever you do but make but allow you to do it better and go deep into the postseason yeah Carly, you, um... i think sorry just really quickly the okc thing they very much are the sleeping giant of the trade deadline like Whatever happens around the deadline, OKC can beat just about anybody's offer. So it really does come down to who, if anybody, do they want, and then what will the rest of the league do after that? While you guys are setting up this Goldilocks theory where uh, contenders don't have the assets and uh, wannabe contenders might have the assets, just looking at the standings, Sherrod, based on what you're identifying, I think New Orleans or Minnesota could be really interesting Crusoe play or the Pacers. I'd be very curious about yeah. that. Um, I want to do something quick, which is address Boston, not using Grant Williams TPE yesterday, yesterday. Would it, this is a little confusing. So I'm going to explain it. Justin, tell me what I got wrong. If Boston had used the TPE by yesterday and brought in a guy who makes say $6 million, which the TPE is $6.2 million. That would give them enough time it's a two month grace period to turn that player around at the trade deadline. So that would have meant Boston had $6 million in salary to use by the trade deadline by not using the TPE, the uh, TPE is still in the books. They could still use it later, but if they acquire a player using the Grant Williams TPE, that salary cannot be stitched together for another deal, which means Boston's ability to get a Caruso at $9 million still looks like, Pritchard plus Luke plus Svee plus whomever, which is increasingly probably not possible. So it was probably never possible in the first place because all of the additional tax onto adding that salary right. on yep. to the payroll would have made it incredibly unpalatable when your team is already first in the East. So I, I never think that that was really an option, but yeah, it's probably completely dead at this point. Yeah, that, that second apron, man, oh, man. I mean, they're just – the Celtics – when you think about Tatum, Jalen Brown, Drew Holiday, Porzingis, 
and then you got Derek White who makes a deep, you know, he's he's another one. It's just like at some point, you know, the Celtics, and again, I I, I give Wick Grossbeck a lot of credit for just basically blinking and saying, we're just gonna we're just gonna cut this check. Brad, mm-hmm. that's what you need, Brad. We're gonna do that. I give him a lot of credit for that. But at some point, you gotta ask yourself, is it really, really worth it to add a guy? And the other thing, too, with the Celtics, not only I think was it monetary reasons why they didn't use it, but I think the other factor is I think there's a part of them that believes that they have enough to keep getting by. And I think their strategy is going to be, let's wait to the buyout market sets in where we can get someone on the dirt, dirt cheap. I think there's going to be a rotational player that they're going to gonna target. And I, there's, there's one guy I have specifically in mind who they may make him a priority if he's bought out. As I think he, I think he will be bought out. I'm, I, I feel good about him being bought out. Well, let me make an executive decision. Um, first of all, can <laughs> Justin or Sherrod or Alex explain what are the new buyout rules or is that next season? So the buyout rules are in effect now. Basically, any team that is a second apron team cannot sign a player who is making more than the full, the biggest mid-level exception when they were cut. So like six anyone, million this season? No, it's the full, the big one. It's like uh, 12 oh, nine. Is that oh, kicking well, yeah. this year, Justin? What's that? Yeah, it's is now. That, oh, damn. I thought it was next season. Okay, so who I was gonna say tells your guy that was that. That totally that totally blows my my theory. Uh, they're gonna have to actually make a trade. Uh, the guy that I I think that they have their sights set on and, and I think may try to figure out some way to land him is Kelly Olynyk. Yeah, I would Ke- love that. Kelly Olynyk. This is what Kelly Olynyk yes. is. For, this, the thing, you know, here's the thing. We we often talk about guys who are like you know 50, 40, 90 guys. How about Kelly Olynyk being a sixty? 50 90 guy this season and playing limited minutes he's giving you like 10 points five rebounds three or four assists shooting almost 60 percent from the field almost 50 from the three-point line and like 89 percent from the from free throw line and remember he's playing for an organization where danny ainge mm-hmm. is running things and danny ainge we know um there's certain partners throughout the NBA that Danny Ainge is a little bit more in tune with working with than others. Uh, I mean, re- remember a few years ago when, you know, uh, Austin Rivers, they were trying to, he was trying to get some assets and they, they engineered this weird deal where Austin was sort of kind of a Celtic, but not really, but Danny was able to get some picks yep. and, and they, they worked with, it was a deal that involved uh, Doc Rivers when he was, I think, with the Clippers. And it was, it was like this Celtics reunion front office thing going on. It was the most <laughs> bizarre deal ever. Everyone got a little bit of something, but it was like, it was like basketball nepotism that like we've never seen before. You uh, might see it again. You might, let me be the first to tell you that the non-taxpayer mid-level for this season is 12.4 million and Kelly Olynyk makes 12.1. Oh, it's one? Okay. Smokes. I knew it was, Yeah. I knew he was close. I knew he was close. But that's the kind. But that's the kind of guy that I could see the Celtics acquiring. Uh, and I think if they did that, uh, I hate to break it to all the the Luke Cornett lovers out there, but Luke's probably bye bye. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, the thing about Kelly that I, I love, would love, I love him, but don't, just I'm I'm excited too. Not because I'm, I'm, I want him to go, just right. because they need more. It, yeah, and and the thing about the thing about Kelly is that he gives you a guy that. For those eight, nine, ten games that you won't have Porzingis, you got a guy who can give you similar production. A guy that, again, he's not, I don't think he's as good as Porzingis, but he's not that damn far off. And at least when he's on the floor, defenses are going to actually treat him like, you know, 
he can play, he can score. Um, one of one of one of the biggest cringe moments I have every single Celtics game is when I see Luke set a screen for Jason Tatum, and I look at the defense react, and they pretend as if Luke is a ghost and he's nowhere to be found. They don't. They don't. They don't converge on him. They don't blitz him. They don't do anything. They just look for Tatum and they will go wherever Tatum goes. And if Tatum swings the ball to Luke, what's Luke going to do? He's going to swing it over to Derek White or he's going to swing it out. He's not going to make them pay. He's not going to give them what I think, I at least the goods that I bought, said that he was a stretch big. And last time I checked, most stretch bigs like to do this thing with, that I call shot taking. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He does what I would do. If I'm out there, I get the ball. I'm swinging to someone who can shoot because I'm not a shooter. But I thought Luke was. And, and so Kelly would give you that dynamic that I think they, they need. And frankly, he becomes a guy that if you were to swap him and Luke out, I put them head and shoulders above anyone else in the East. Because at that point, now, the one area where I thought they had the greatest area of weakness, they have addressed with a significant upgrade and let's not be let's just keep it real the last game luke played as a celtic was when he dropped like 27 on the wizards in game seven the the kelly Olynyk game uh the yeah. game that got him free drinks in boston for the rest of his <laughs> life that game that is what i would want uh so i'm 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 oh goodness I, i'm the idea of him coming back makes me excited they need to address that big problem because they can weather just about any injury at any position somehow except right. for Kristaps for Porzingis. Right. And the thing about with Kristaps with, with is when he goes down for a game or two, you can weather that storm. But I, my concern is when he has something like this recent calf injury where he missed multiple games. You knew at some point his absence was going to come back and bite them. They're not built to withstand more than two, maybe three games tops of not having him around. And I think we're going to have another stretch this year where he's going to miss like four or five in a row. And if you have a guy like Olenek around, that gives you someone who can buffer that loss in a way that you're just not going to get with, with you know, with, with Lemon Square Luke. Well, I mean, I will. Peyton Pritchard, I, I hear Utah is absolutely gorgeous in February and March. Those big cascading mountains. Uh, I'm sure there's all sorts of cool things. He's, a, he's an Oregon guy. Yep. So there you go. We'll be closer to home. Is there, if the Celtics swung a trade to like clear Luke and then later they went for KP off a of buy or like, there, I mean, they can no... cut him. I mean, it's only, it's, it's, I think they're on the hook, the, the hook for a million now or something like that, but they could, they could cut about half his salary. Yeah. So, okay. Interesting. So they don't need to trade. There could be a buyout thing straight up. I mean, they could just absorb someone into the TPE, but they're going to probably want to move some salaries somewhere, even if it's just yeah. by cutting because the tax, as we said before. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Um, now, I mean, Sean and Justin, you guys are 100% right. They need a starter quality big man off the bench. To say nothing of like what might happen to Al Horford. I mean, he lost a lot of lift in the playoffs last year. And like, look, questioning Al Horford is emotionally feels icky, but like, <laughs> it's correct to wonder in the postseason if he'll have it just because you know sometimes old guys don't and also injuries happen and so the redundancy in the front court just like isn't there i think luke can set a high pick and roll with a quick ball handler but not a tatum calls him over to set up the pick and roll like that just isn't cutting the mustard um and i i don't really know if we know why Brissett doesn't play but 
it doesn't look like many of the power forwards are getting much burn. I can't talk about O'Shea because everyone thinks this is why I'm talking about O'Shea. He's a Syracuse guy. <laughs> so I limit my commentary on him all the time. But all I, all I know is this. You're going to Indiana. You're shorthanded in the front court. There's only one guy on your roster who knows that lineup, that roster you're, fin- you're playing intimately. And that guy does the same thing that you and I did for that game. He watched. We watched it, yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. But that I, I'm, I'm going to leave my O'Shea commentary to that. Uh, he's a good player. He's a hustle player. He's an energy player. But he, I think, has some confidence issues. I don't think he feels comfortable as a shooter because I think they – he took them, I think, maybe a little bit too literally when they said, we need you to be a role player to hustle and rebound and take open shots. But I don't think he caught the take open shots part of the conversation. <laughs> he does all that other stuff except take open shots. And that hurts the offense. You know, when you get an offensive rebound and there's no one in front of you and you swing it out to Tatum for three and he misses, it's like, okay, so you gave up a gimme deuce for a um, contested three? Okay, maybe we don't need to play you as much as we want to uh, when you're making bad decisions like that. Uh, and Lamar Stevens is another one. I still, to you know, and we we talk a lot about him in the Garden Report, almost to the point where I, I'm, I, it's frustrating because he was a good player in Cleveland. He was a good 3 and D guy. Well, his three, not great, but defensively, <laughs> improved. he gave you something. Yeah, improving. Uh, but for him to just be racking up, you know, DMPC, even in blowouts, he doesn't play. And it's like, I don't know exactly what he did or what he's not doing, but he's a guy that I, I would like to see out there. My, my gut tells me that when he gets his opportunity to play more than like three minutes, he's going to show them something that's going to be like, ooh, maybe we need to play him a little bit more. Um, he's the one guy that I think does not play that I think if he gets an opportunity could potentially play his way into the back end of the rotation. I think he could be that there's, impactful defensively. If there's one thing we have known to be 100% consistent over Joe Mazzula's tenure, it's that if you don't take open shots, you don't play. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is the most kind of defining feature of his bench rotations. Joe Mazzula absolutely hates playing guys that don't take open shots. So for O'Shea and Lamar, um, I listen, I was excited about both of those acquisitions in the offseason, and I am still to a degree an O'Shea Brissett truther. I think that guy can be good in the right setting. But fellas, if you want to see the floor, you got to take the shot, period. Yeah. 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 Joe Joe's made it very clear that you got to let it fly. Got to let it fly if you want to play for him, for sure. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I go back and forth. It could be that we're seeing like limited Pritchard Cornette and Banton burn because it's who he trusts or because they perceive those players will have value on the trade market. And they just want to make sure that everyone is aware that they can still play. Um, Good luck with moving Banton. Good luck with that one. Yeah. That one, that third might be a stretch. Although I love his size. I'm, I'm very interested in that. Okay. So let's keep the Celtics kind of on the back burner. Cause they're the theme of this podcast, but We've established Chicago might be a major seller. Quickly, Shrod, out of Portland, Toronto, or Washington. Any players on their roster, either for the Celtics or just like for the league, that you think are particularly interesting in the trade market? For the league, I think Pascal Sackham in Toronto is very interesting. He's in the last year of his deal. Uh, so you could theoretically, you know, make a, a deal for him and not be on the hook long term. Uh, I like OG 
I like OG. Actually, I like OG more, uh, but I'm not sure that most teams feel the same way. Just because he's got a, another year or so in his deal, but my goodness, the guy's like 24, 25 years old, makes less than 20 million. In this day and age in NBA, to get a guy with his versatile skill set, that's a steal uh, if you can acquire him. And he's a good player. This is the thing, though, and I was talking about this last time, is that Masai Ujiri just does not relent on how much he expects for these trades. Like, this guy's trades demands are just massive. Last year at the deadline, he was talking three first-round picks for OG Ananobi. For Pascal Siakam, I can't even imagine how much that would be. I don't know. I mean, I think both of those players are very valuable to a lot of different teams and should be intriguing trade candidates. But Ujiri might have to budge at least a little bit. For I some think he reason. has to because he just lost Fred Van Vliet for nothing. And if he loses another guy for nothing, I don't know how long his tenure is going to be in Toronto. So Unless yeah, they, that, that championship glow doesn't quite last as long as you think it does, even in Toronto. Of the teams that we just brought up, I think Ty Jones is really interesting to me uh, when that the night of the Marcus Smart trade was going down. Uh, I hoped for a moment the Celtics would land Ty Jones. It's just a professional point guard, even if he's undersized, which uh, leads me to my next point is, wow, the Washington Wizards are so sad. Um, there is just like, I'm looking at the depth chart. Uh, there's just nothing of interest there that I, I, Ty Jones, they should trade him and try to get an asset or two back because that's all they've got. But um, the cupboard is pretty bare <laughs> in the nation's capital. My God. They'll move Ty there. Jones, and, and I think they might move Kyle Kuzma as well. Yeah, yeah, they get, yeah they could, we'll get, I think they could get a decent, you know, haul for, for Kuzma as well. But, you know, it's just looking at their roster. It's hard to look at their roster and not cringe uh, because it's just like, ooh, you know, it just stinks in every sense of the word. They're, bad, they're just a bad team, uh, which breaks my heart that Detroit is worse. Uh, because they should be worried, even though Detroit, I think, has more talent. They do. Uh, it's just, just a really weird mix. It is. It is. It is. And and I, I don't want to get into Detroit because it just breaks my heart that they're so bad. Yeah, they are so, so bad. I will say that the, the future looks bright. I mean, Portland and Washington feel married in that they waited too long to move off of their star players. And now if you look at where they're at, there's just there's not that much of interest although portland is looking a little frisky with some of their young guys i like Shaden sharp i do too he's good <laughs> yeah but like Shaden sharp is the future or for another year or two he's going to be good and then like then what happens full of something else i think you can build around that guy but maybe i'm wrong if he if his shot comes around definitely but he is really erratic all right i'll have to watch over a trailblazers game more discerningly than split rum all right quickly a couple other teams that might be sellers a few of these i think could be buyers justin um we'll have to talk about the intern who put this list together so okay sure let's do this i'm going to go through these teams you tell me are they buyers or sellers ready yep ready atlanta uh buyers Ooh, uh, I, I, I think they were I connected. They... they were connected to uh, what's his face, Asiakum by yeah. uh, Shams. Oh, what's could, his yeah, face? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I could see them adding someone in that front court because I, again, I, I am not an, a Hawks believer. I just think that they're just they're one of those teams that's on this basketball treadmill. Like they're not really going anywhere, but they're running, they're making moves, but they're yep. not really going anywhere. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I do think he'll be a buyer. Frank Capella is one of the most likely players to be moved at the deadline, in my mind. All right. Yeah, Justin, I was going to say, why do you have him as a seller? Because they're very bad, and I don't see any of those moves making them any better, but I guess we'll find out. Okay. The treadmill. <laughs> Their team treadmill. Uh, this is a team that's on a treadmill, but they're not running very fast. Uh, before I ask, how much longer is LaMelo Ball out for? A matter of weeks, not months? Four weeks, I think, about now. It's been yeah. a few weeks. Yeah. Okay. So, Sherrod, buyers or sellers? Charlotte Hornets. Sellers. Sellers. They got some pieces that I think are very, very interesting. And I'm, and speci- I'm thinking specifically about Gordon Hayward, uh, yeah. who I think is a guy that can help a lot of teams. You coming off his contract at the end of the summer, he'll be unrestricted free agent. It makes a lot of sense to swing a deal for him. And Gordon, he wouldn't mind a change of scenery. Um, I, I think he he realizes that, you know, the, the, the green may be a little greener in Charlotte, but the green that he experienced in Boston in terms of winning, you can't replace that. Uh, I think he'd like to get somewhere where he can get a chance to win at a higher level and not have his season in April 17th or whatever the last day of the NBA season will be for the Charlotte Hornets. Keep an eye on Terry Rozier for them as well. I feel like uh, Terry Rozier. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a guy who actually could have value, particularly around February when teams start to really look for depth at the point guard position. Terry mm-hmm. Rozier strikes me as a very logical trade candidate. I like both of those players for the Pacers. Um, that was my takeaway of the most recent Celtics Hornets game was like put them on a team that can run, but then can also win when they run. All right. Uh, another team. Well, pff, sorry, it's coming back around uh, the Detroit Pistons buyers or sellers. Shrod. <laughs> oh God. I, I think they're, Oh, well, so let me, let me, you know, the term pre-agency where teams become buyers, but it's really. That could happen, but they're not trying to build anything after this. Exactly. They, yeah. They, they, I think they're, they're going to be doing a little bit of storehouse keeping for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think they will do that. Yes. I don't think they're going to make any deals to add to their roster mix going forward, because I, I think they got a nice young nucleus that they just need to grow up and, and get some experience, but they know that sometimes you got to move pieces in order to get, more pieces and assets down the road so they're like buyer they're preemptive buyer with the plans to be a seller if that makes any sense i can already see bogdan bogdanovich in those philadelphia threads it's Ooh. it's in my mind. i see exactly where this is going that's 100 percent happening <laughs> so so you're saying you're not buying shams saying that the 76ers are a zach levine buyer I would love for the 76ers to be a Zach Levine buyer, but I you don't mean think both. that's going to happen. <laughs> He'd be a great fit with them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, I think he would look good in purple and gold too while we're doing that, which is also on the Shams report. Um, uh, but Shams also said that they are something like patient observers, I think <laughs> was the terminology there. All right. Two teams that I think are, are similar to Detroit's camp, so we don't have to dwell on them too much, I don't think, is San Antonio and Utah. Sherrod, am I wrong about that, or roughly the same situation as Detroit? It's it's very similar. Very. I don't think either one of them plans to be much of a player other than to make deals in order to just acquire assets. Uh, this seems like the kind of trading season where Danny Ainge is going to pull the trigger to just get more picks. Uh, moving guys to get more assets with no intention of adding talent 
I, I think back to the, that Brad Stevens first couple of years where he was just flipping guys like Pokemon cards. Uh, and, and Brad literally knew not from one week to the next who the heck was going to be in the starting lineup because mm-hmm. the guy that started for you last week is now playing in, you know, Brooklyn or is, is, is on a move. So I think we'll see a lot of that between those teams. Uh, San Antonio, I just I think they're going to be very patient with Wimby, you know, and just allow him to continue to grow and just figure out what pieces make the most sense around him. Because I still don't think they have a, a true feel for what works best for him going forward. Yeah, that stretch where Jameer Nelson was a Celtic for a week and then Tayshaun Prince was a Celtic for a week will always be magical to me. Um, I wonder about Laurie Markkinen. I think he's a really, really talented player. I thought he kicked so much ass last year. I don't really know where he goes to to be that final piece. I mean, I guess he could do the Aaron Gordon thing, but I feel like he's he's like almost too to talented. Yeah. I think yeah, they're going to keep him. I, I can't see them moving him. It just doesn't it doesn't make enough sense to me. Um, he 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 finally showed that he can play at a high level. Uh, yeah. and I don't think he's in. You know. I think he's young enough to where he can be patient and be part of your, your rebuild and not freak out about it. Uh, but he's done enough in his league to where you expect him to play at a certain level and be consistently elite at that level. I mean, he's one of the best stretch bigs in the game. Uh, I, I was very shocked that he did not have more success in Chicago. I just, to me, it, it was like, to me, it was like a no brainer. Uh, now Patrick Williams in Chicago, that was just no brain is what I call that. <laughs> that wasn't an over. That was just no brain drafting him fourth overall. Are you kidding me? Anyway, another conversation another day. Um, I like, I like Laurie though. I think he's a good player and I, I don't think him, I'll see him movie in Utah. Uh, I, you know where he would be really good. This is occurring to me. The next team I was going to ask you about is the Grizzlies. I think Laurie marketing would be really good on the Grizzlies, but um, l- let me marinate on that one a little more. Apropos of that Shroud buyers or sellers, the Grizzlies. Am I frozen or Sherrod frozen? Sherrod's frozen. Okay. Well, then I'll tell you what's happening with the Grizzlies. Um, the Grizzlies are g- going to do neither, and it's going to bite them in the butts. I think that they're going to have to wait and hope uh, that Jaw is just as good as advertised and that the moves they made over the summer are as good as advertised, and I don't think that they will be, but I don't think that they'll have the stomach to make that decision by February. So... I think that the Memphis Grizzlies should either be aggressive buyers or aggressive sellers, but I don't think they're going to be either. I think they're going no man's land, and that's going to be a problem. All right, Shrod, you back? Hello. Oh, he's back. Uh, Alex, what were you going to say about the Grizzlies? Oh, I was going to pivot away from that. I do think that the Grizzlies are going to be sellers uh, by the time the trade deadline rolls around. I just think it's so tough to climb back into the Western Conference standings. Um, and the Grizzlies are going to be in full draft capital mode by that time. Uh, and the player that I'm keeping my eye on for the Memphis Grizzlies is I do not think that Marcus Smart is necessarily going to be a long-term fixture for that Memphis team. And I think that I am a little scared about the possibility that Marcus Smart could wind up back in the Eastern Conference. Let's put it that way. And you know, he'll be back with a vengeance, Alex. You know this. You yeah. know this. I'm a little scared about that. You know who really wants Marcus Smart to be traded? Marcus, Marcus Smart. Smart. That dude is not <laughs> enjoying his time in Memphis. Can you blame him? All right. Um, last one, just because Justin, I found myself uh, disagreeing politely with some of your takes here. Uh, Golden State, Sherrod, buyers or sellers? Golden State, I think they're going to be buyers. 
I think they, they, they're going to make one last stab at being relevant. I think it's a mistake. I think they should be sellers, but mm-hmm. I think they're going to be buyers uh, because they, they think they still have enough to get over the hump. And I'm looking at the West and I'm like, uh, no, you really don't. You really, you really need to start par- you know, parceling off some of your pieces. But I think they're going to be buyers, though. I, agree. I think so, too. I, yeah, they're riding the Steph train into the ground. I, I think they have now fully pivoted to we are just going to ride out the rest of Steph's career for as long as we can. All right, Dr. Quinn, we took your notes and we turned it into a game. Are there any of these takes that you want to push back on? I think Sherrod actually summed it up in that the Warriors should be, but the fact that they can't really realistically do anything with Clay Thompson uh, other than give him way more money than they probably should. Which they will do. Yep, and they got a new they got a new stadium to fill. Uh, they 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 can't really afford to be completely irrelevant, so I think they're gonna do the Legends tour. Uh, we're gonna suck for a couple of years, kind of a thing, while they clear the books. Yeah, it's bring back those Monte Ellis days, folks. Let's 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 bring it back. Let's go, oh, run it back, run it back. <laughs> the Golden State Warrior fan base is like, no, no. they're upset. They do not like the current situation. I don't, I don't see a way out, even if they do make a trade, which, again, they should not. But even if they do, even if they nail it, I don't see how they're going to dig out of the hole that they're in. I mean, they're in 11th place. There's 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 no way they get past the play-in, honestly, I think, at this point. Yeah, that's their best shot, I think, this year, is to get to the play-in game. Yeah. All I know is that Steph Curry is still a very bad man in any yep. playoff matchup, and I want no part of that. <laughs> I kind of wish they had found a new home for him somehow, but that's okay. Um, He's a bad man with bad team. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not counting his pennies or Joe Lacob's pennies too hard here, but oh well. Okay. Um, to the benefit of time, let me do this in an uh, abbreviated way. Sherrod, first of all, thanks for stopping by the Celtics lab. You're welcome back at any time. But to tease future conversations about trades, as much as the teams that we were just talking about might set the table for what the trade season looks like. These are the teams that we pegged as the most consequential buyers out there. Miami, New York, Philadelphia, Dallas, Houston, or the Lakers. So Sherrod, I'll give you that list again. And I want you to pick which one of these teams will be the most consequential buyer at the deadline. And if there's a seventh team out there, give me the seventh team. So you're picking between Miami, New York, Philadelphia, Dallas, Houston, the Lakers or the field? I'm going to go with Dallas uh, because Dallas. I think that's the one team in that list who I think is having a pretty good season, but they're not quite having, they still need a legitimate piece to pair with their, their, their two, their one, two punch. Uh, and no Grant Williams does not count. Uh, nice <laughs> role player. Love Grant. One of my favorite former Celtics, but they need a little bit more. And I, and I think that Cuban, you know, he understands that the window in to, to win a championship is a slim one. He's one of, he knows what that's like. And Denver, even though they're the defending champion, no one really looks at Denver as a defending champion. They look at him as the team that is just temporarily holding the Larry O'Brien trophy to one of us takes it from them. Mm-hmm. And Dallas, I think they feel they're one piece away from being there. Um, so I, I think they will be probably the most aggressive of that group followed by the Lakers. Dallas is also a good pick because that new ownership group, that new car smell, people always want to get a little rowdy with that. Um, Alex or Justin, I guess I'll swing it to you real quick. Miami, New York, Philly, Dallas, Houston, LA. Anyone you want to shout out? 
I mean, I, um, the, the correct answer is fear Pat Riley with. Yes. You know, and and with, that's exactly where I'm going with that, actually, is the Miami Heat are um, always, always, always terrifying to me in particular. Um, and I think they are now in the position where with the reality that Giannis is not coming, with the reality that they're probably not going to get the big fish that they have been hunting for, in some ways, they are now more dangerous than ever on the trade market because they do have assets that they can move. And because um, they, I think, are going to be pivoting more towards getting high quality role players, which they can definitely afford. Um, this Miami team is still good. Bam Adebayo is having the best season of his career. Jimmy Butler, we all know what Jimmy Butler can do in the playoffs. So I don't have to go back into that. Um, but this Miami team is going to be aggressive. And I think they are going to be in a position to add some quality role players come the deadline. Yeah. Um, Brogdon or CP3. Uh, I'm curious about what that looks like in Miami. But thankfully, we didn't get to that part of the conversation. So rather than milk the trade conversation, we have real things to talk about next time we do this. Dr. Quinn, of those six teams, Miami, New York, Philly, Dallas, Houston, or the Lakers, any one of those making more noise than the others? I do think that Miami's always looming. The Sixers, I think, are also a team to watch because they have consolidatable uh, assets that really are going to lose. Like, what are people going to be doing with a Marcus Morris contract if not folding it into something else at this point? He far outweighs uh, what he brings to the floor as salary ballast at this point. So I could see them making a consolidatory trade. They have enough assets to do it. There aren't a lot of really obvious targets uh, that we have out there, I think that would make, you know, a slam dunk amount of sense for them. But if someone really sexy does come available, keep an eye on them. I think the Knicks wish that they were the answer, but they always think they're the answer. Yeah. Every time I think the Julius Randall thing needs to stop, then I'm like, well, he is pretty good. He's a lefty. That's interesting. I don't know. I'm glad this is not the Knicks lab podcast. All right, I want to uh, remind folks that this episode of the Celtics Lab Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network, because if we're being honest, I forgot to do that off the jump. Sherrod, I want you to plug something you're working on because I want to say thanks for coming by. So tell the people what you're working on. Oh, God, besides grading final exams and final projects at Boston University, <laughs> uh, we've got the, uh, the, the, uh, the Big Three NBA uh, podcast next week with myself, Gary Washburn, and Kwani Lunas. Um, uh, I'm working on just, uh, stuff for my full court press, uh, newsletter through substack.com and just getting ready for next week, uh, putting together something, just looking ahead to this, uh, you know, I think post mid season defining stretch that the Celtics are, are, are about to embark upon and just looking at some of the different issues that they will be navigating through, uh, in the coming days and weeks. So, um, you know, lots of stuff going on. It's a busy time of year, which is great. Uh, and like I said, the, the Celtics, I, I just love the fact that the Celtics are relevant. Uh, and there's always something going on with these guys, whether it's players, whether it's Joe Missoula milking timeouts as if that they are gold coins or bricks <laughs> that you have to store away for a rainy day. Uh, he's not doing that anymore this year, which I'm glad to see. Uh, but you just, it's just, it's a good time. It's a good time for, to be a Celtics fan. Uh, there's lots of stuff for you out there. Uh, and you know, you all with the with with the lab here, and, and and you know my stuff. We're just trying to provide good content, so and that's what we do. So, 
world-class content. Hey, the only other me- uh, mafia in Boston that's got Syracuse licked is the CLNS Media Mafia. So um, <laughs> it's good to see you. Uh, all right. Well, everyone else, hope you're enjoying your holiday season. Um, hope you're enjoying the Celtic season as we are. And hope that you leave us a like or a comment or a subscription on wherever you're listening to this, whatever app you're using. So, Sherrod, thanks for stopping by the Celtic Club podcast. And everyone else, thanks for listening. And we will catch you soon. Adios.